0: Let's pray. Father God, your word given to us, what a blessing it is. Your word telling us of of who you are, what you've done for us, your love, your grace, your mercy. Your word teaching us what upright, what righteousness is. Your word helping us to, to know discernment from right and wrong how we should walk before you, your word bringing us comfort. We praise you, Lord, for your word tonight. We pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, that we would apply your word to our lives. And we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. The book of Psalms is is quoted more often in the New Testament than any other book from the Old Testament. There are 14 references to the Psalms in the book of Hebrews alone. And Psalm 22, the psalm we're going to be looking at tonight, is, is loaded, absolutely loaded with New Testament significance. And when, when Jesus is on the cross and he cries out the first line of Psalm 22, I believe that the entirety of this psalm is in view. That he is honestly declaring the struggle of his immediate circumstances with a view toward the eternal purposes of that very struggle. As we look at this psalm tonight, we're going to examine three things. We're going to look at the prophetic detail of this psalm, we're going to look at the foundation of hope that is contained in this psalm, and we're going to look at salvation realized in this psalm and its effect upon the people of God. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles to Psalm 22. If you haven't already, let's stand up for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 22 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot should. my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me, they have pierced my hands and feet." I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Amen. The reading of God's word. Go ahead and be seated. First, let's begin by examining this this psalm's prophetic detail. Uh, Flip over to your Bibles, to Mark 15. Mark chapter 15. Second gospel after Matthew. I'm going to start reading Mark chapter 15 at verse 6. And then as we go through it, I'm going to intersperse Bits of Psalm 22 so that we see how it applies. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, beginning at verse 6, says, Now at the feast, he, Pilate, used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priests had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have him release for them, Barabbas instead. This great crowd was was stirred up against jesus psalm twenty two verses twelve through thirteen says, "Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion." Back to Mark, verse 12. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. And Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, was crucified. Psalm 22, verses 14 to 16. I am poured out like water, And all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. Just so we can understand how descriptive those verses are. Dr. C. Truman Davis, he's a physician who researched and wrote about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and what it it would have felt like. He wrote these words, he said, As he pushes himself upward to avoid the stretching torment of pulling himself up by the nails in his wrists, He places his full weight on the nail through his feet. Again, there is searing agony of the nail, tearing through the nerves between the metatarsal bones of the feet. At this point, as the arms fatigue, great waves of cramps sweep over the muscles, knotting them in deep, relentless, throbbing pain. With these cramps comes the inability to push himself upward, Hanging by his arms, the pectoral muscles are paralyzed and the intercostal muscles are unable to act. Air can be drawn into the lungs, but cannot be exhaled. Jesus fights to raise himself in order to get even one short breath. Finally, carbon dioxide builds up in the lungs and the bloodstream and the cramps partially subside. Spasmatically, he is able to push himself upward to exhale and bring in the life-giving oxygen. Jesus experienced hours of limitless pain, cycles of twisting, joint-rending cramps, intermittent partial asphyxiation, searing pain where tissue is torn from his lacerated back, as he moves up and down against the rough timber of the cross. Then another agony begins, the terrible crushing pain deep in the chest as the pericardium slowly fills with serum and begins to compress the heart. One remembers again the 22nd Psalm, the 14th verse, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. It is now almost over. The loss of tissue fluids has reached a critical level. The compressed heart is struggling to pump heavy, thick, sluggish blood into the tissue. The tortured lungs are making a frantic effort to gasp in small gulps of air. The markedly dehydrated tissues send their flood of stimuli to the brain. Jesus gasps his fifth cry, I thirst. One remembers another verse from the prophetic 22nd psalm, my strength is dried up like a potsherd my tongue cleaveth to my jaws and thou hast brought me into the dust of death the body of Jesus is now in extremes and he can feel the chill of death creeping through his tissues back to Mark verse 16 Psalm 22, verse 7. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Mark, verse 20. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put on put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father, father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. Psalm 22, verse 18, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Mark, verse 25, And it was the third hour when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews... And with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right, one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads, saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him psalm 22 verse 8 he trusts in the lord let him deliver him let him rescue him for he delights in him mark 33 and when the sixth hour had come there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthanai, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the, gro- for, from the words of my groaning? Mark 35, some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran to fill a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Psalm 22 written around 400, 500 years before crucifixion was ever practiced by the Persians, which was before the Romans ever practiced it. It gives us a vivid picture of what Jesus endured on the day he was crucified by the Romans about a thousand years before the event actually occurred. From the mocking to the feeling of the fluid building up pressure upon his heart when he says, my heart is like wax, it has melted within me. I'm poured out like water. When that, when that spear went into his side and it was water released from that sack around his heart that had filled with fluid... He's poured out like water. Here we have before us a prophecy of amazing detail. And some people like to to disown this and say that, well, Jesus knew the Psalms. He could have been on that cross and he could have just quoted that first line of the Psalm and and, and he could have just planned that out. There's so many things wrong with that theory. How and why would somebody plan to be crucified, first of all? That makes no sense whatsoever. How did he convince the soldiers to cast lots for his clothing to see who would get what? How did he set up all the other things we could keep going on and on and on? It simply makes no sense that this is anything other than an astoundingly detailed prophecy. An astoundingly detailed psalm with prophetic tellings of what would happen to the Christ. And I pray that prophecy of such detail would strengthen our trust, our faith, our hope in our Savior. Whatever our personal circumstances might be at the moment, God knows what he's doing, doesn't he? Did you notice in in this psalm, in in the midst of it all, in the midst of the the mental anguish and the physical pain that the psalmist is describing to us here, he also lays for us a foundation of hope. Look at verse 3. He says, Yet... You are holy. Enthroned on the praises of Israel. In in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Even as he is feeling abandoned, even as he is finding no rest, even as he is scorned and mocked, as he is physically tortured, and even as he is laid in the dust of death, even as he is laid in the dust of death, the world has brought its worst upon him. The death of the body. A torturous one at that. And yet, he says, you are. God are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, and they were not put to shame. You delivered them. They cried out and were rescued. In you they trusted, and were not put to shame. David here, David is the psalmist, and he recalls the faithfulness of God to his forefathers. As David can, can look back at those stones of rem- remembrance from the Jordan River that we were t- reminded about last Wednesday night during the prayer meeting. He, he could look back on those and say, God faithfully took my forefathers across the Jordan River and I see those stones and I remember that and I know that and whatever I'm going through, I will trust in him for he's the God who delivers. Yet you are holy. And as Christ hung upon the cross, he suffered a greater loss and at the same time a greater confidence than we will ever know. See, Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God, was with the Father from eternity past he was enjoying fellowship sharing in communion he was sharing in creation he he was on when he was on this earth he was described as the beloved son with whom the father was well pleased he was never eternally past never separated from the father he knew the ins and outs the comings and goings he knew the faithfulness of the father he knew his plan he knew everything that was going on Never separated. And on that cross, forsaken. The Father turns His face from Him. What loss. An eternity of relationship. Never separated. Forsaken in a moment to carry our sin. What anguish. Far worse than anything he was suffering physically on that cross. And yet, what a confidence he had to go through, to follow through on everything. The anguish of the cross and the anguish of of that being forsaken by the Father... He had such a confidence because of the nature of his relationship with the Father from eternity past. He knew what the Father would do. He knew that he would follow through. He knew that he would be restored to the Father's side no matter what he was going through at that moment. He had such a confidence, such a relationship with the Father. Are we walking so close to God? Spending time in His Word. Spending time in prayer. fellowshipping with those who would cause us to grow in maturity in Christ. Are we walking so close to God that we know His deliverance? His faithfulness? his everlasting love, his grace, his mercy? Are we walking so close to him that we can look through our trials and hardships and see him waiting for us on the other side? That that while we are still in this world, we can see our salvation realized in Jesus Christ. Let us do those things that would cause us to walk in the confidence of knowing him. Because he has something better waiting for us. Our salvation is already and not yet. We have it and we aren't there yet, huh? Philippians 2 is a a great passage about our Savior and it begins with the humiliation of the Word of God, who, though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, something to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself of all that glory It was found in the form of a man, God taking on flesh, coming to earth. And he was obedient in that flesh to the Father, even to death, even to death on a cross, right? as where that passage in Philippians chapter 2 starts. That's where we are. But there's something more. That is not where it ends, is it? Not for Christ and therefore not for us. Philippians chapter 2 says... In verses 9 through 10, "...therefore God has highly exalted Him because of all He had gone through, all the humiliation and death on the cross..." And that is exactly what we see here in Psalm 22 as it prophesies the horrific death upon the cross. It goes on. He who was laid in the dust of death, as it says in verse 15, goes on to say in verse 21, the second part of verse 21, you have rescued me. you He's laid in the dust of death, and he says, you have rescued me. From the horns of the wild oxen, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You have rescued me. Apart from resurrection... Apart from something beyond physical death, how is it possible to be laid in the dust of death and then rescued? Praise God that our our hope in Christ goes beyond this fallen world that we are surrounded by. That, That this earth is but a shadow of a spiritual reality that is eternal and goes on forever. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 10 through 17 uses those words. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. It starts out in verse 10 saying, for it was fitting that he for whom and by whom all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified Jesus Christ and us all have one source that is why he is not ashamed to call them to call us brothers saying I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation I will sing your praise sorry there it is And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me to make propitiation for the sins of the people. We have eternal life through Christ, through Jesus Christ. We have a hope and a citizenship in heaven. And this gives way in Psalm 22 to to a personal expression of praise when he says, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. And then from there, it goes from this personal praising of God for for everything God has done, everything God is, to a a corporate, a congregational expression of praise. And he says, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. And then it goes on. Just like it described to us in Philippians chapter 2, where every heart, every knee, every tongue shall... every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has that name that is above every name... Verse 27 of Psalm 22, All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Those saved, those unsaved, everyone will end up having to admit that Jesus Christ is in indeed, Lord of lords, King of kings. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the ruler of everything, the creator, the layer of the foundations of the heavens and the earth. This is the God whom we give praise. And this won't be a temporary state, but an eternal one. As verse 30 goes on to say, posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it that he has established salvation for us. And that salvation, as we recognize it and we see it realized, even now when it's not yet complete, as we see that salvation for us, whatever we're going through, we, we just explode in praise from personal to congregational to, to the whole world. We'll know that he is God. And we'll be forever recognized We see in this psalm uh, uh, an immense prophetic detail that that lends us confidence in our trust, faith, our hope in the person and works of Jesus Christ. We see in this psalm given us a a foundation of hope that recognizes God's historical faithfulness to us, to our family, to those we know, to our, our family in Jesus Christ, in the church, and his ability to follow through on his promises to his people. And we see in this psalm a salvation realized that even as Jesus hung upon the cross, he could say, you have saved me. This this leads us to an expansion of praise from the personal to the corporate to the universal. God will be recognized. The Son of God will be recognized for who he is. And he says to us, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, and the murderers, and the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. The one who hears, let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take of the water of life without price. Have you recognized Jesus Christ as your Lord, as your Savior? He who hung upon the cross, of which it was foretold a thousand years before it happened, vividly, clearly in this psalm, Have you recognized him as the God that he is? That his name is the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess? Have you realized that? Have you accepted that? For there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. There's no other means of salvation. God has provided a way and we need to go to Jesus Christ for salvation, for the forgiveness of our sins, that we might be reconciled to God. If you've not accepted him as your Lord, as your Savior, pray tonight, Lord Jesus, I, I recognize my sinfulness before you. I, I recognize my imperfection before your holy perfection. I need your forgiveness. I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord, as my Savior, for the forgiveness of my sins, that I might have the hope of everlasting life, that I might be filled with your Holy Spirit. Those aren't magical words. Pray some prayer like that, that you too would know the hope of knowing God Almighty knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us that is magnificent, that that declares to us truth, that declares to us in in such detail what was to come for our Savior, that we too might have salvation, that as, as he has resurrection life, we too would have resurrection life. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for your word. We worship you tonight as a family in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.